Hello and welcome to Making Media Now, the filmmaker's collaborative podcast. I'm your host, Michael Azevedo. Joining me on this episode is FC member Mike Silva. Mike's a filmmaker who enjoys working with people who are pushing the needle, people with ambitious dreams, and a healthy sense of humor. Mike has worked as a producer, a director, a camera operator, and an editor. And he has more than 10 years' experience working in Los Angeles as a director of photography. During his time in Boston, he spent time concepting and directing short-form content and building internal production capabilities at a Boston-based advertising agency before moving on to found the production company Vessel. Mike has recently relocated back to Southern California. That's where he spoke to us from. Making Media Now is sponsored by Filmmakers Collaborative, a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting media makers from across the creative spectrum. From providing fiscal sponsorship to presenting an array of informative and educational programs, Filmmakers Collaborative supports creatives at every step in their journey. To learn more, visit filmmakerscollab.org. And if you're enjoying this podcast, Please subscribe, leave a review, and share it with friends. And now on to my conversation with Mike Silva. Hello and welcome to Making Media Now, Mike Silva. Hey, Michael. Thanks for having me. Good to be speaking with you. Uh, Mike is a producer, a director, a shooter, and an editor, along with being the founder of Vessel Productions. And at least uh, from the standpoint of this podcast, perhaps most importantly, he's a Filmmakers Collaborative member. So great to be speaking with you, Mike. Yeah, likewise. Thank you. Where are you speaking to me from? Uh, Today I'm in Santa Monica, California. Wonderful. And so, you know, when I, you and I have spoken several times over the past few years, and I know that you... Uh, you spent a good deal of time in LA working as a working as a shooter, but then you were also Boston based for a while. Where did you grow up? I grew up outside of Boston and uh, in a suburb outside of Boston, and then I went to I went to school in Colorado and then moved out to LA, um, not knowing what I was really going to do, but. Uh, or rather back in Colorado when I graduated, I had, I had studied film marketing and kind of was like, you know, what, what am I going to do now? How am I going to get into the film business? And the time I took, a, I think it was senior year, I, I, was, I was working an internship at an advertising agency uh, that was working with studio clients like Lionsgate and Miramax and, and, uh, but I, I was really just kind of on, on the promotional end of things, you know, cold calling uh, places for in, in product placement and stuff like that. Uh, and, and going out to films and, and, and interviewing press for word of mouth screenings and stuff like that and press screenings. But at that time I was trying to figure out, well, how do I actually get on to the, to a set and, you know, where, how do I do that without moving to LA at this point? Um, you know, when I was, I was, a, I was a senior still in school and, and so, uh, started asking around and, and before I know it, there was a, uh, there was a horror film, an indie horror film that came through town and I volunteered on it and it was shooting, you know, 30 days on location in Colorado. And so I volunteered on it 
as a general set PA and ended up kind of, it, it was a really small skeleton crew ended up sort of working under the gaffer, uh, just kind of, you know, learning the equipment and, and sort of just ru- running back and forth from set to the truck to grab items that I'd never heard of, like a Mayfer clamp or what have you. And, and sort of, yeah, being on this, this big grip, uh, lighting truck, trying to find these miscellaneous, uh, tools of the trade. And, and that's, so, and that's when you were captured by the glamor of filmmaking, right? You know, I, yeah, I, well, I really was just captured by the camaraderie of it all. And, and yeah, just kind of seeing how the sausage was made being, you know, with those chances where I did get to kind of be on set and kind of watching how the director and the DP interacted and, and sort of the talents role. And I think at that point I really felt, uh, uh, uh or at that point, I was drawn to how the DP worked and how he was seen to be orchestrating the whole crew from lighting to grip to, um, to props and, and all the other departments. And I said, ah, you know, I want to do what that guy does. <laughs> and so the gaffer told me, Oh, in order to do that, you know, you need to first learn how to light. Uh, cause often DPs they either come up through the camera department or through the lighting department. And, and he was saying, you know, if you come up to the camera department, then you won't know, you won't know how to light and you'll have to rely on your gaffer. But if you come up through uh, the lighting department and work with to gaffer and then start shooting, you know, maybe second unit for a DP, then you can sort of, you have more control over your vision. So from there, he got me a job. The gaffer got me a job at the one studio or the larger studio in town in Denver. And I just started working in the lighting department, basically packaging 10 ton, five ton trucks that were going out in commercials. Uh, and so that's how I learned all the gear. And then eventually once I sort of knew the gear uh, and needed to then learn how to apply it, they started sending me out on some, on some sets, uh, and, and then once I thought I had a firm grasp, I moved out to, to LA, uh, a couple of buddies of mine that I went to school with had, had just recently got out there. So, um, yeah, we all got a place together and I, I moved out there thinking I knew more than I, than I did at the time. And then, uh, <laughs> kind of started that, that all that process all over again, when I got out to LA and kind of worked my way into the unions there or to the, the union. And, um, now is this a, as a lighting tech at the time or were you yeah. at this point? No, no, no. At this point, all, it was all lighting. You know, I went out there, we were with the, with the guys from film school. We're trying to create our own projects and, mm-hmm. and writing and, and, you know, doing small little shorts and, and various pieces to kind of be creative and, and, and have autonomy. But, uh, yeah, in order to pay the bills, I, I you know, I, I sort of, Client was trying to climb my way up to the uh, in the in the electrical department. So yeah, I ended up working feature films and episodic TV, um, and you know. So at that time, I was working. Uh, that's where I started, and then um, 
as as I progressed, I was shooting more and more on the side, whether it be music videos, and then started to shoot promos and commercials. Um, so kind of working the non-union landscape as a DP, and then uh, and, and as a gaffer and electrician and, and the union side of things. Um, you know, I always find when, when people, when I'm having conversation with folks and they'll say, and then I started shooting, I always wonder, is it that simple? Like for instance, what gave you the confidence or what, what gave you the know-how to even operate the camera and be able to say, this is the picture in my mind's eye and, oh, look, it resembles what I ended up capturing. Well, for me, yeah, I always felt like, oh, I didn't have the, the technical know-how. So I, I, I didn't, yeah, I didn't have the confidence. And I remember working, I, I was, uh, you know, I was trying to figure out how, how can I gain that confidence or that knowledge? Uh, is it workshops? Uh, is it buying, you know, investing in the equipment and just start shooting? I kept looking into the main media workshops up in, up in Rockport yeah, and sure. was intrigued by those for, for, quite a few years, but never really pulled the trigger on it because it was a bit of an investment at the time. And I remember I was working uh, a film on a, on an indie film up in Carmel, California and the DP, uh, Walt Lloyd, he was, um, he, he, he shot, um, some notable films like sex lies and video Tate and, um, yeah, that was uh, Soderbergh's first movie. Yeah, I think uh, uh, shortcuts maybe Robert Altman's film. Mm-hmm. But anyways, after after uh, um, one day after after work, we were at we were at the bar and I was sitting next to him, and I was telling him, you know, have you heard anything about the main media workshops? You know, I, I was thinking I want to get into the camera department, and he said, yeah. He's like that. That's where I met Laszlo Kovacs twenty years ago and kickstarted my career. And so, yeah, I think the next week I, I, not a bad guy to meet if you're going to be shooting film. Yeah. So, <laughs> so, uh, so I enrolled in a cinematography, cinematography residency program for three months there. And, uh, and yeah, was there working alongside other aspiring DPs from around the world. And, uh, yeah, it was more so not even really gaining. Yeah, I gained quite a bit of technical know-how there, but it was more the, the confidence that I gained there from being with this group of of people from that were sort of in the same shoes as myself and and working through it together. So, did you did you have a um, an impression of yourself as somebody who was drawn to visual arts, like when you were when you were a kid and you were watching movies? Do you, do you have any sense that the films that stuck with you, maybe even in retrospect, were ones that were particularly visually striking? Yes and no. Uh, definitely. Um, in terms of visually, anything visual, it, I feel like I've always spoken visually, you know, or, or I always felt as a kid, I wasn't, I wasn't as, uh, I didn't feel as articulate as I did with with images Mm -hmm. and, um, and so, yeah, as articulate verbally as you do creating images. Yeah. I I feel like a lot of films that were visually striking 
spoke to me definitely maybe not so much as a, as you know when i i recall the first days of like some of the first films i ever saw that are the films as a as a young kid that i really gravitated towards you know it's more like captured by these adventures and the storytelling but uh, definitely in, into college and and um where i was obsessed with you know who, who shoot it who's yeah what dp is filming this and 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 what what are what other films have they done? What what new films are coming out that they just shot? Once you kind of uh, clue into the role of the DP, and you you know you start you find yourself gravitating toward movies that they shot, which the you know the subject matter of the movies can vary hugely. I know I've there there are certain films that I have watched where I I really wasn't interested interested in the story that much, but because I know that guy shot it and I want to see what what he did or she did, and uh, for the most part you're not disappointed. It you know, you can even watch it with the with the sound off if if you choose. Definitely. So you were you did you spent time in L.A. You uh, became agile and um, facile with the operating of the camera, and then I know you came back to the East Coast. What can you tell me about that difference between working in the be it the independent branded content uh, business on the East Coast versus the West Coast, or if you feel like it's just kind of the you know the same hustle, different places. Same hustle, different places. No. Uh, well, it was interesting because when I moved back east, I at the time I thought it was going to be temporary. I intended to move back to LA shortly mm-hmm. thereafter. The catalyst for my move was my, my dad was ill and he was diagnosed with a terminal brain tumor and they gave him three months. So I so I packed up and I, and, I, and I moved out there. He ended up fighting for two years over over two years. And so I sort of reinvented my life there. And, and yeah, I wasn't quite sure. I I think at the time when I moved back, somebody had told me, Oh, there's more studio pictures shot in Massachusetts this year than there were in California because of the tax incentives. Um, So there was quite a bit of work in that realm, but I wasn't, I, I, I didn't really have any, any contacts or I didn't really have a foot in the door but I did sort of in the advertising world. And so, uh, yeah, I had a, I had a buddy who had sort of moved back East similar circumstances and he was, he was an editor and he had found himself editing commercials and sort of in the advertising landscape. And so just by way of him, I was introduced to some people and, and sort of fell into that world um, and at this point, are you primarily working as a shooter? So when I came to Boston, yeah, I started pitching myself as a DP, you know, going around to whoever I could meet with and whether it be production companies or ad agencies. Yeah, I was pitching myself as a DP. And soon enough, people were asking, well, can you produce and edit as well? And that was sort of the answer or the response I kept getting. And so... Initially, I was like, you know, well, I can, but I haven't, I haven't edited in a in a professional sense, or you know, 
So then I say yes and find the best, find the best online chat group available. Yeah, exactly. Well, basically, so that's what I said. At some point I said, yeah, you know, well, I can. And so that's what I did. And I went out and I put together, uh, I, I had a meeting with an advertising agency at one point. They didn't really, you know, necessarily have a position for me, but I, some of the work that I was currently doing around sort of just sort of docu style, docu short, uh, short documentary content, um, just to keep sort of my chops up and be creative and be producing and uh, happen to align with one of their brand campaigns. And so we got to talking and said, you know, maybe we can collaborate on this. And so I basically put together uh, a couple spec spots um, that they ended up using to, to sort of, um, to attain this client as well as infuse it into the new brand campaign. Mm -hmm. So that sort of kicked me off into the advertising landscape. Uh, And then I ended up working with, uh, with an advertising agency for a couple of years, uh, just kind of as a, uh, first as a, as an in-house DP and then sort of growing into, um, sort of more of a producer, director, editor, the kind of renaissance man that, that everyone had been asking about prior to that. In that role, are you shooting on a variety of cameras or is it primarily with, with one, one type of camera? A variety of cameras, definitely. Uh, you know, obviously, I think a camera... Sometimes, obviously, the budget can dictate what type of camera you're going to use. Sure. But in the digital age where, and sort of branded docu-style content where I think a lot of, uh, or even studio content where it's, the camera itself is, you know, this a digital box and it's kind of what you do around that, you know, the lensing, the filtration, the lighting, the set design. Uh, so um, it's sort of a, yeah, it's sort of a combination of all these things that, that create a nice image. So, um, yeah, depending on what the creative calls and calls for and what the, and what the budget dictates yep. and, and, and what and your cruise is and the ergonomics of the camera and, and all else. So, and as that camera operator is, do you find that is there much of an adjustment to go from one piece of equipment to another? I don't think so. No, I think uh, for the most part, in terms of what you want to do with the camera, sure, some 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 of the interfaces may be a little different, but in terms of what you're doing with a camera, I think uh, it's pretty ubiquitous in terms of settings and 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 all else. And tell me how Vessel Productions came came to be. After the advertising, my, my first foray into advertising, I had I, always been kind of interested in sort of doing my own thing and entrepreneurship and, and how to, you know, build my own company and create some autonomy. And uh, it kind of happened through freelancing, you know, uh, I think gaining the trust of certain clients that then enabled me to operate more as a production company, mm-hmm. you know, and, 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 and 
producing and bidding on, on, on bigger and bigger jobs to, to be able to work and surround myself with, um, a team that was getting bigger and bigger. Right. Um, so yeah, I think that that's kind of how, how I, how I entered, entered into that. Um, whereas it's sort of, I was already working as a freelancer and then the jobs were getting a little bigger. So it's subcontracting, um, you know, different vendors and crew. And then, yeah, it just makes, made sense to kind of make an entity out of it. Put it all on one roof. Yeah. And, and also at the time, you know, I had been or wanted to, to start, producing a documentary film. So I knew that that was also going to need a company to, to be under. So, uh, it just kind of all formed, formed together and started to sort of build the facade of it and started to brand it and, 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 and kind of, yeah, sort of, sort of built it as, as we went. Yeah. And you mentioned the documentary film and the one I wanted to chat with you about was jump share with our listeners what the premise of jump is and bring me up to speed as to where things stand with that film jump is it's changing constantly uh as some documentaries do but it's really uh the pursuit of this young woman maria smirnova uh to high dive professionally for either cirque de soleil or red bull cliff diving uh and also in pursuit of breaking the world high dive record. Um, and how did you find out about her and what was it about, uh, not, not just her sport, but also her story that, that caught your attention? This is probably going to be a a long winded answer because it kind of took so many twists and turns to get there. Uh, you know, it started out as just a, a, because it, it's currently in the May, it's a feature doc and, and it started out as a, as a short film. Um, you know, I think it was, uh, it was at a family, it was at a family gathering. My wife's cousin, he had been, he was a gymnast at Iowa state, uh, and he had, he had dropped out after freshman year. Uh, he had, he had a, a string of circumstances that led him to drop out. And so we were, I think it was the summertime or at a family gathering. And I was kind of asking him what was sort of next for him. And he said, well, I'm not sure long-term, but in a couple months, I'm going out to Washington state. I've been invited to a, a cliff diving event and a cliff diving event. What do you mean by that? And I, I have no idea. Invited as a spectator or a, as a, as a participant. Okay. And, um, in the freestyle world of cliff diving. So there's many different uh, facets or, or, or to high diving, whether it's theatrical show diving, uh, cliff diving. Um, yeah. So, but in any case, so he, he was going out there to Washington state and, uh, I didn't know what cliff diving was at the time. He ended up showing me a bunch of videos on Instagram. Uh, cause I didn't know if, if they were diving into, into water or sort of, I didn't know what they're doing, you know, squirrel, squirrel suit diving, <laughs> I, all these images kind of yeah. came up. Yeah. And, but when I saw that, I was just kind of blown away by the, 
the physical feet of it, as well as these amazing locations in these remote areas uh, around the world. Yeah. And so I thought at the time it would be interesting to just do a short film on, on, on him in terms of his progression from this really rigid structure of, of uh, collegiate gymnastics um, and, and this routine to now finding this freestyle community of cliff divers, which is this pure sort of freedom of expression uh, without competition and without uh, expectations and, and sort of telling more of a coming of age story uh, of, of his pursuit um, in, in that world. But at the time, yeah, it didn't really, uh, he wasn't really in a great space to, to participate. And I knew that I wanted to continue something in, uh, along the lines of cliff diving. And so I just went down a rabbit hole of YouTube videos and, and Instagram videos and was trying to find divers that were in the area at the time when I was in Boston and New England. And so I found Maria, who I thought was in in Boston. Uh, she was a collegiate, uh, NCAA division one collegiate diver at the university of Rhode Island. Um, however, she, when I finally contacted her, she had just moved out to Alabama, um, cause she was contracted by a, by a water show production company that puts on theatrical high dive shows at state fairs and theme parks. And so she was at a theme park called Alabama splash and adventure on a three month contract diving off a 80 foot tower into a, into a 10 foot pool and, and doing clown show dives and, and, um, some, some other theatrical shows. Um, and so, yeah, I was just interested to kind of hear her story to, to, to understand and learn about the world of high diving, because, you know, a lot of these collegiate spring divers, they get out, of, they, they graduate. And then, you know, what's next do you, you know, is it either Olympics or coaching? And outside of that though, there's this whole world of, especially theatrical show diving where uh, like Cirque du Soleil and, and, and cruise ships like Royal Caribbean and, and um, overseas shows like Dragon. And um, there's, there's this whole world of theatrical show diving that a lot of divers then, then tap into. And a lot of these theatrical shows, uh, sort of the, the, the highlight of the show is it is the high dive, mm -hmm. which is, um, you know, like, uh, 20 meter or higher up to like 90 feet, I think. And they're just these radio towers built off a of scaffolding down into a pool that is literally probably a 15 foot diameter and only 10 feet deep of water. So, um, so I just got interested in her story and her pursuit, um, to, to sort of get on that, that international stage. Cause at the time she was, uh, right before the pandemic, she had been putting together an, uh, a sort of a demo reel and, she, and Red Bull had contacted her to basically audition in Montreal right before the pandemic. And then the pandemic hit travel got canceled and all this and all else. So it kind of, she had to kind of defer her dreams at the time. And now, 
she started, she's sort of still in pursuit of that and has the owner of the company that she works for right now. Um, Dana Kunze, he actually holds the world high diving record, uh, which hasn't been broken in over like 30 years or something like that. And what, and what is that? What's the, what's the height? I think it's 174 feet. Wow. Yeah. And so that's, I think 174 feet for, for that Dana's broken. And what constitutes the world record is you have to be, uh, it's at least one somersault in the air and you can't be assisted out of the water because many people have, have jumped higher, but you know, broken limbs and this and that. So, uh, <laughs> so, so it only counts if you survive the dive. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's a cruel sport. <laughs> it is. <laughs> so, uh, oh, okay. Yeah. But, well, I guess that's, that's an important qualification. Yeah, yeah. You have to be able to stand on the podium. You do, you do. But yeah, so high dive. So there's this. So there's that whole world of high diving, and then, like I said, there's this freestyle world, which is this huge burgeoning scene because of social media, and 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 so that is growing exponentially. And then Red Bull has since, since I think 2012 or 2014 started sponsoring this World Series circuit where. Um, divers compete over the course of a year at eight different competitions or so uh, for points and it's an international competition Um, and then you know right now there's talks about high diving will potentially be in the next Olympics in 2024 so there's a lot going on with it right now but the thing is there's nowhere to really train because facility there's no facility that has a height um that divers can actually train at until just recently which uh ellie smart who is one of the u.s representatives on the red bull circuit she uh and her and her boyfriend just built a um uh, a facility in in park city utah mm-hmm. and um so that's the first of its kind. And then I believe there is also one being built right now at the Aquatics Hall of Fame in Fort Lauderdale, but that one apparently won't be up and running for at least another year or two. So um, when you're when you're setting out to tell this story and your story is focusing on one particular diver, um, when do you decide or how do you how do you decide or how do you get a sense of, okay, so where's, where's the story behind this woman's drive? Where's the, you know, where's the story within her about what keeps her pursuing, which is a, which is a, you know, a pretty esoteric dream. Yeah. It's, it's interesting too, because she comes from a, she was born in Russia, raised here, um, and come, you know, her family comes from a very academic background and, and, you know, pushed for her to, to get a, a real nine to five job, so to speak. But she just kept being drawn back to, uh, the, the sensation and, and of, of diving, of being on that platform and, and sort of, you know, sort of testing yourself mentally and physically, um, but yeah, the onset of the, of the production too, I'm also focusing her at the beginning of her career and then 
uh, a diver at the end of her career um, who, who had kind of done it all, the Red Bull circuit, the Asheville show diving, mm-hmm. and it's kind of, you know, what next at, at this point as well. You know, it's like any sport you, the, there isn't a ton of longevity as, as far as performance, you know? Um, so what does that look like? And then also, uh, there's another, another diver I was focusing on who was at the pinnacle of her career in terms of, um, she had gotten her, her dream job at Cirque du Soleil, where it's a little more, there's a little more stability and, um, and then she just had her first kid. So she's sort of, she was sort of not sure exactly what she was going to be doing, whether going back or starting this new life as a mother in, in motherhood. So is, uh, is, is Cirque du Soleil exclusive to Las Vegas or does it, are there multiple Cirque du Soleil um, kind of branches, I guess, globally? I honestly, I don't know too much about yeah, they are global, I believe. Uh, the the show that that involves high diving, which is actually yeah, high diving and Russian swing diving, is a show called O, which is out of Las Vegas. Yeah, that's been there for um, a while. I don't know if that runs anywhere else, but that yeah, that's the one that I'm familiar with. Got it. So what is your sense right now as to, and this is probably a difficult question to answer, but do you have a sense as to whether you're uh, 20%, 30%, 80% into this story? Like, is there a light at the end of the tunnel? Oh, man. Well, I keep thinking there is. And then there's just new twists and turns, you know, uh, in terms of what I'm learning and what's revealed and sort of the motivations and the, and, and sort of also the history of diving and contextualizing the sport in modern day and, you know, and the gender inequality within it, um, you know, just until like last year, the, at least in the Red Bull circuit, females were, um, were paid, uh, I think, significant, significantly less than the males to perform the same dives. There's a ton that I'm just learning about and sort of learning about the war, the various worlds within high diving. And like I said, what's happening with it in terms of, uh, the Olympics and, and, um, so yeah, not only Maria's story, but, um, sort of the, the, the whole, the whole landscape of high diving. Mm-hmm. Do you think you'll edit this film yourself? Uh, no, I hope not. Yeah. <laughs> I, <laughs> uh, I have edited, edited some of it because, um, yeah, just the nature of trying to find some, you know, funding for the film and, and applying for grants and fellowships and, uh, getting people on board, you know, to, to help with the project, whether it's producing or this or that. So, um, there is footage that I have edited, but that's definitely something I would love to sort of turn over to, uh, a fresh creative mind and, and be able to, to work with an, with an editor at, at some point would be fantastic. 
And I'm always interested in asking Filmmakers Collaborative members uh, how you came to find out about Filmmakers Collaborative and and how you've been able to avail yourself of the services they offer. I think, you know, when I first moved to Boston with Filmmakers Collaborative being based out of Boston, uh, I was just interested in, in, in getting involved in the film community and knowing what resources were available, what was going on. And um, I think, you know, through the, the, the high school program and FC Academy, um, sure. FC Academy and sort of, uh, I, yeah, maybe I saw Laura speak at, at, at a, maybe, maybe a mass uh, production coalition meeting or something yep. like that. But yeah, had just kind of always, was always, uh, they're always kind of on my radar in terms of offering, just being a great resource for not only Boston filmmakers, but, um, filmmakers from everywhere and, and offering, uh, not just as a fiscal sponsorship, but putting on events and workshops, um, it's just been there. Yeah. Uh, an incredible resource, I think for, for filmmakers. So now that you're settled back out on the West Coast, what is the latest that's happening with Vessel Productions? Do you guys, is it the intention to be having East Coast projects and West Coast projects going on simultaneously? Yes, definitely. I think it always kind of began as sort of this, uh, the idea of a sort of nomadic production company, Mm -hmm. where sort of you know, I've, I've worked throughout the world, whether it's West coast, East coast, they're in the UK, Australia. And so leveraging all these contacts over the years and the network, um, to sort of tailor teams together per project to kind of hone in on the specifics of the creative or the client's objectives. So yeah, the, the, it kind of always began as sort of this, this nomadic collaborative, yeah, I hope to continue to sustain that and, and grow and, and with, with jump, you know, it being the, the first of hopefully more documentary features to come, but, uh, you know, building, not only doing sort of, uh, impact, um, driven branded docu style work, but also, building an arm of the business that that is producing feature docs. So um, that's the goal right now to just kind of keep on keeping on. I hear you. Well, Mike, thanks for taking the time to uh, catch us up with with what's going on. And uh, we'll definitely stay uh, in touch and plugged in because I do want to know the progress that's taking place with Jump and when it's all ready to meet the world. I do hope you come back and talk with us about that. Yeah, thanks so much. Really appreciate you having me. It's been a pleasure. Uh, so, if folks want to uh, get a, get a sense of what Vessel Productions is all about, what's the, the URL? Is www.vessel.productions. Vessel and that's Productions. Okay. Yeah, that's it. No dot com, no dot net, just dot productions. Okay, that's an important distinction. All right, Mike. Thanks again for your time. It's been a pleasure talking with you, and um, good luck with the transition. Yeah, thanks so much.